Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning, whether you're here in the sanctuary or at one of our on-campus live feeds or home or somewhere else joining us via live stream. Wherever you are, we are blessed to worship the Lord God who welcomes us, who loves us, and who walks with us through all the good and hard times in our lives. I have a uh, number of updates about worship and ministry here at Faith today, so buckle your seatbelts, got a few announcements. Um, First, on Sunday mornings, we now have the option to gather in the sanctuary, in the fellowship hall, or weather permitting in the backyard of the church house across the street. So if you're comfortable indoors, if you're comfortable outdoors, um, or if you prefer to stay home and live stream, we have a number of options. So hopefully, in one way or another, everyone is able to participate in worship. Um, the, uh, The fellowship hall has a little more relaxed feel, a little easier for young kids to move around, even more so the outdoor options. So we'd encourage you, if you're a little bit worried about being in the sanctuary, to check out those other options. Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock, we're continuing to gather for outside worship on the church lawn. Uh, We usually have a little bit of a shorter service, maybe 30, 40 minutes, a little more relaxed. If the weather is bad, we put a social media announcement up by 5 o'clock and we move indoors to the fellowship hall. But you're also encouraged to show up, to hear God's word, to pray, praise, uh, praise the Lord together, and also to be with his people. Um, Our services are following guidelines for social distancing masks. Check out our website or our bulletin for more of those details. Also, speaking of the bulletin, we email our bulletins out weekly. If you're interested in getting on that list and you aren't, please let the church office know. You can find that information on our website. Um, We have a lot of different information about ministries. Everything is starting a little bit later this year, but we do have a lot of things gearing up. So keep an eye on the bulletin going forward to see how particular ministries are doing this strange year. A couple things we're going to highlight this week. Our men's Bible study has begun meeting for the fall. That's early Friday mornings. We're in the midst of a study about Ezra and Nehemiah, so you're welcome to join that if you like. This year, women's Bible studies are meeting in smaller groups at a number of locations. There may be some in the church building here, some in people's backyards, some meeting via Zoom. So again, whatever your comfort level in terms of gathering, you're invited to participate in those women's Bible studies. More info in the bulletin this week and in the weeks ahead. Uh, Nan Lurup also has an update about our Right to Life Committee. Good morning. Um, the Right to Life Committee is in the process of making calls for Caring Network um, for their virtual banquet. And that will be held October 22 at 7 o'clock. Faith Church has agreed to be one of the hosts for the banquet. They can't have it at Drury Lane this year. Therefore, there will be no food, no beverages. Um, But at 7 o'clock on October 22, we can host up to 100 people, safely distanced, all with masks. And so if you're interested, please contact a member of the Right to Life Committee. And that would be Bern and Jan Slinkman, uh, Lambert and Judy Bronger, Tim Lurup and myself, and um, Kim Kuenga, Lindy Oostman, and Barb Broom. So feel free to contact them if you don't receive a phone call. We're trying to consider um, the early planning of this, so all reservations must be made by the end of September. So please um, be able to make a decision about whether you want a seat reserved and let us know. Um, Secondly, 
we are in the process of the diaper derby collection and in the entryway, the main entryway in the back of church here, we have bins for diapers, um, wipes, those types of baby supplies for Caring Network also for their um, bank of supplies that they use for new moms and babies. So thank you for considering that and have a good day. Thank you. Thanks for those updates, Nan. We do want to remember those who are especially vulnerable in this time that is hardest on those who already have few resources and options. Uh, one last announcement before we begin worship. Uh, we've had some concerns expressed about having fellowship afterwards in the uh, parking lot with cars coming and going. So for those of you who are in the sanctuary, after the service this morning, we're going to be exiting via the doors up here. Those will be propped open at the end of the service, and we ask that kind of row by row, just as people kind of exit, let's keep it orderly, um, but we'll just head out those doors, and we'll be fellowshipping out on the church lawn today so that we don't have to worry about traffic and people in the same place. Uh, Pastor Greg, I believe, will offer a reminder at the end of the service, just a small change we're trying to help us be safe. Let's now stand to receive God's greeting as we begin worship. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And let's respond to God's greeting by giving him the glory by singing him wholehearted praise together.
we do seek to give the Lord wholehearted praise with our mouths and also with our lives. We seek through living grateful lives to the Lord to show him that we are grateful for how he has worked in us and how he continues to transform us. This morning, to help us reflect and remember how we can glorify God through our lives, we're going to together read a setting of the Ten Commandments, and each commandment is going to be interspersed with a, with a verse or a phrase from one of the Psalms. So I'll read, you follow as the screen indicates. Let's together remind each other of God's will for our lives. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The worship team is going to come up now. We'll continue in worship praising the Lord who is sovereign over us and who gives us a new identity in him. When the music begins, we'll stand to sing.
We're going to continue in worship now by going to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Lord God Almighty, we praise you for your faithfulness and for your kindness and for your never-ending patience and for your providential care. We are humbled that you watch over us and that you even dwell within us through your Holy Spirit. Inspire us, our Father, our Savior, our Comforter, to live good and grateful lives for you. Keep us safe in these challenging, challenging times. We pray for the Slinkman family, for Byrne and Jan, for Doug and Sue, for Mark and Stacy, as, as they mourn the recent losses of Byrne's brother and Jan's sister. In these days, especially with all our restrictions and social distancing, it's, it's become so much harder to say goodbye to our loved ones who pass away, to do it well and to do it together. But we pray that you provide the Slinkman family and that you provide all those who have lost loved ones this year with, with a special measure of peace and grace. Help them to be able to grieve and to mourn and and enable all of us together as your community to reassure each other that we have hope in you. Grant protection and peace to those in our church family who are struggling with COVID. Grant healing to those who are impacted physically. Give freedom from anxiety for all who are on the hamster wheel of worry, frustration, anger, concern about this disease and about the impact it's having on all of our lives. Help us all to demonstrate your grace and your love even in what seems to be becoming a harder and harder year. And Father, we pray too for the broader church. We think of our classes meeting this week. We pray that you help the churches from our denomination in this area as we gather virtually to, to process the business we need to process, to do the work that we need to do in order to further the mission of your church and each of our individual churches. Each each particular church has their own struggles, their own joys, their own opportunities in this time. But all of us, all of us stand in desperate need of your grace and your power. Bless all of your people as they gather together today here and, and in our nation and around the world as we encourage each other, as we come to listen to your word and to be guided by you, and as we try to work for the good of our neighbors. And Father, as we think of those around us and those around the world, we're flooded with concerns. The news is always full of stories of senseless violence, and so we continue to pray for healing and safety. The news is full of stories of corruption, deceit, and misused power, and so we pray for goodness and righteousness in this world. The news is full of stories of man-made and natural disasters, and so we pray for safety and for resources to meet those who are impacted. In all of this, Lord, every day of our lives, what can we do but turn to you? And so as a church today, we turn again to you. We give you thanks that you are always here for us and that you are always present with us. As we continue to worship today, help us, guide us, lead us, as we go out into this week, give us your peace and give us your power to do what you would have us do. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our beloved Savior. Amen.
Last week we started a sermon series on the story and the account of Joseph at the end of Genesis. Uh, We read the very first chapter where we read about Joseph last Sunday morning. That was Genesis 37. Today we're skipping over Genesis 38. You'll find out why in the message, and we're going to be reading Genesis 39 together and focusing on that. But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the blessing of, of worship with your people. Thank you for your church here at Faith. Thank you for how you've blessed us. Now we ask that you would bless uh, the reading and the hearing of your word in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Genesis chapter 39, we're going to read the whole chapter, so we'll start with verse 1. Let's listen to God's holy and infallible word today. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar An Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. He's not too subtle. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, And none of the household servants was inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me. And ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you, you, bought us, you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, 
He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. That's God's word uh, for us, his people, today. Covenant is one of the most central themes in all the Bible. Some make the argument that Covenant is the central theme. In fact, testament, as in Old and New Testaments, is really another word for covenant. One of the final requirements for being a pastor in a church in our denomination, the Christian Reformed Church in North America, it's to be examined at a meeting of classes. That's a local group of CRCs, like the one that's going to be meeting Um, this Tuesday via Zoom that Pastor Matthew just prayed about and that's in the bulletin. There are a number of parts to these examinations before you can pastor a congregation. There's like biblical, theological, there are sermon evaluations, and then there's also a practical section. And that has to do with the potential pastor's character, personal relationship with the Lord, and so on. I don't think I've ever heard one of these examinations where there was not a question about the meaning of the covenant. Every single one of the the folks that pastor in the CRC, in other words, that I've heard come into the church are asked, what is the meaning of the covenant? Covenant is that critical to the understanding and the teaching and the application of God's word. Covenant is how we describe that special relationship between God and his people. And we talk about the covenant formula where God has said, I will be your God and you will be my people. He promises to love and care for us, and we, in turn, promise to be his people living for him because of all that he's done for us. The Bible promises covenant blessings for those who do live for the Lord in response to all that he's done for us. But the Bible promises covenant curses for those who don't. In other words, those who live in disobedience to him and his ways. In the story of Joseph in Genesis, we find that several generations before our reading, God had made a covenant with Abraham. God chose him. God promised to be his Lord and the God of his descendants after him too. And then each generation going forward all the way to today, all the way to you and me today, who are Abraham's children by faith, 
each generation throughout history is called to take the baton of faith from the generation before and to own those promises of God and to commit their lives, our lives, to living for him. We found out last time when we started the Joseph story that just three generations after Abraham, most of Jacob's children, Jacob was Joseph's father, most of Jacob's children were not living for the Lord. Three generations later, they dropped the baton, and that's covenant-breaking. I say all this about covenant because I think the idea of covenant is the best way to understand our reading this morning and, and to bring it to you, to bring it to all of us today, okay? So here we go. First, keeping covenant. Covenant keeping. You think of a husband and a wife. Each one is called to keep their marriage vows, come what may, right? For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health and so on. Marriage involves an unconditional promise, unconditional vows. And that's why marriage is not a contract. We call marriage a covenant. The covenant between God and his people is like that too. It's a no matter what happens promise. God is perfect. He's unchanging. And so he always keeps his no matter what covenant promises and vows to us. People, on the other hand, are not perfect. We're fickle. We fail to keep our side of the covenant to live for our God who has saved us. And that brings us to a really important question early on in the Joseph stories. And that is, why are these accounts focusing in on Joseph? Why are we following Joseph here at the end of Genesis? Jacob's 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? We talked about that last time. God's Old Testament people, the foundations of the church. Jesus, who came to earth, to keep covenant where we and all his people have failed would come from one of those 12 tribes many generations later. That tribe that Jesus would come from, do you know what that, who that is? Which one of those sons? What tribe? It's Judah. It's Judah. Not Joseph's line. Judah's. And, and, and so, but we're following, instead of Judah, we're following Joseph, which is a little strange, but, but here's why. We talked about the disobedience and the wickedness of Joseph's brothers. They were living like the world. They didn't care about their relationship with the Lord. And chapter 38 that we didn't read has some more details on their disobedience and on their wickedness. And in particular, it focuses on Judah, the one Jesus would eventually come from. But Judah is so wicked, it's not, it wouldn't even be appropriate to read chapter 38 to children and to young people. But it's an important part of the Joseph story because it shows us why it's the Joseph story instead of the Judah story like it should be. Though, of course, the bigger 
picture and bigger than either of those guys is that this is God's story ultimately. But the Bible makes really clear that Judah lacked covenant faithfulness. He totally dropped the ball in living for the Lord. And, and so we're tracking here in God's word um, with Joseph, who was living for the Lord. In a sense, temporarily, the covenant people, God's people, the faithful, go through Joseph for these chapters and this period in church history. But at the end of the book, Jacob will bless all his sons, all those 12 before he dies. And you read there what the blessing is for each one of the sons. It becomes very clear at the end of the book when he blesses Judah, that Judah really will be the one going forward because Jesus would be born of his family line. In direct contrast to Judah, we see Joseph being faithful so that he is the one who is pointing us to Jesus in these days. And the difference between what happens in chapter 38, I encourage you to check it out sometime, in chapter, there's a very clear contrast between Judah and Joseph in what we read. In chapter 38, we see Judah's total lack of sexual self-control. But in Joseph, in our reading, he exercises great restraint. Joseph had been sold into slavery in Egypt to Potiphar, the captain of the guard, an official of, of the king of Egypt, who, as you know, those kings of Egypt were called pharaohs. This Potiphar was an important dude. We read that God was with Joseph in that home. He was put in charge of the whole household. He, got, he became the attendant for Potiphar, like a higher position than just a mere slave. He gained his master's complete trust. He was taking care of everything that he had. Um, if, if you own a business, this is exactly the type of manager that you would dream about and that you would pray that God would bring you. Trustworthy, given it all he's got, treats your business with as much care and concern as if it were their own. That was Joseph. But we know that trouble's coming. Potiphar had a wicked wife. She wanted to cheat on her husband with Joseph. And yes, for a young man like Joseph, this sexual temptation would have been difficult to resist. But he did resist her. And he tells her why, we read it, why he can't do this. And his explanation to her reveals for us two different aspects of covenant keeping. Two dimensions for covenant living for the Lord that are important for all God's people throughout all of time. There's first horizontal faithfulness. We read in Joseph's explanation that he was going to be faithful to his master Potiphar. And if Joseph went to bed with his wife, it would be a break of trust with his boss. The person God placed in authority over him, and even more than that, the one who was this woman's husband. 
And yeah, believers, right? We are faithful in our relationships. Whether it's our responsibility to the person we work for, our boss or manager, uh, whether it's our responsibility to one another in the church family, what does the Bible say? Submit to one another out of love. Whether it's that faithfulness to each other as husband and wife, as believers, we are faithful as the Bible defines that faithfulness in all our many human relationships. That's the horizontal faithfulness. Then there's a vertical faithfulness in covenant keeping. Joseph concludes this all with, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against you? Sin against Potiphar? Sin, how could I sin against God, he says and emphasizes. For each one of us, too, covenant keepers are faithful to God. We prioritize our relationship with him above all others. We have no other gods before him. And we realize not putting him first is sin. And, and we know the seriousness of sinning against our Lord God. It's covenant breaking. It's breaking covenant instead of keeping covenant. Something, one other aspect to this covenant keeping in this episode of Joseph's life in Egypt is an idea that um, I'm going to, it's not like a really special scientific word. I'm just going to call it covenant spillover, okay? Covenant spillover. So the light of God in those days was shining in Joseph, and that's why the Bible turns us to Joseph. Now, after the brothers threw him in that pit, sold him into slavery, now God's light in Joseph was in Egypt. And we see that he was living faithfully in a faithless land. These people did not know the Lord God. They did not live for him. They worshiped false gods, and if you studied Egypt in history in school, you know that the biggest Egyptian god was Ra, R-A, the sun god. But, but we know, and Joseph knows, that Ra was a big fake. Ra was a false light, a false god. Well, God blesses Joseph's covenant keeping to such an extent, we find out here, that through Joseph's faithful light, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in house and field. The light of the Lord in us, while we live faithfully, friends, is so powerful that unbelievers, like Potiphar, can be blessed by God. And, and the same thing happens when we are faithfully living in a light today as we seem to be living in more and more faithless times in a more and more faithless place in our workplace even if a company is not led by believers it's going to be blessed by faithful christian employees there's no doubt about it a school a church a neighborhood, a home, our whole society will be blessed by those who by God's grace and with his help are lights 
of the Lord, keeping covenant horizontally and vertically, covenant spillover. You know, we think in these crazy times, uh, you know, what can we do as a church? What can we do as believers? I feel like the way to make the difference in these days, the very best way is to commit to day-by-day steady covenant keeping. Hour-by-hour faithfulness to God's ways as you relate to those God calls you to relationally, horizontally, as well as you commit to making God first in your life. We see secondly this morning, covenant testing. Covenant testing. Um, We read about Potiphar's wife keeps on enticing Joseph, tempting him to commit adultery with her. Let's just imagine for a minute Joseph in Potiphar's house and his situation, where he came from, where he is. No doubt it took a few years to go from being bought as a slave to gaining Potiphar's trust to become his attendant and manager over the whole household. It certainly would not have happened overnight. Joseph was 17 when we first met him and sold. So let's say now he's 19, 20, 21. As Joseph goes to sleep at night, he thinks about all he's already gone through in his young life. That, that hatred of his brothers and the pain that that must have been. Being thrown in that pit, sold to slave traders, brought down to a foreign land, separated from his father Jacob, who loved him so dearly, and exiled, removed from the promised land where he had lived. That was God's promised land, but he was thrown out of there into this faithless land. Just think about the trauma of all that and and the deep hurt. But now, that's in the past. Now, though he's still a slave, he would have had a a pretty good life, pretty decent. Uh, Plenty of food, for sure, and comfort, even while I'm sure he was working really hard. Maybe he thought, if only my brothers could see me now, I'm living in luxury compared to them. I've come through my hard times. I've passed the test. I haven't given up on the faith. Look, God, I am still faithful, and God has brought me as a result to this pretty good place and this pretty good position in life, all things considered. But that thinking would have been a mistake, and it is for any of us, Believers who think, after all I've gone through in life, all the troubles, all the hard times, from here on out, I I made it through, I'm doing okay today, from here on out, I'm sure it's going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be easy street. God's going to spare me from any more suffering, I'm sure. But for Joseph, after the tears he already went through, He's getting another test, yet another ambush from Satan. And the devil is like that. He's lurking around the corner, 
uh, to trip us up. He's lurking around the corner to trip up this righteous young man again. And Satan is always trying to extinguish the light of God in people. And, and that's how he works. He doesn't leave any of us alone for long if, by God's grace, we are shining for Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. This particular temptation from Potiphar's wife would have been a real challenge to resist for any young man. And the, the reality is, I mean, we know any number of Christian men and women have been severely wounded by what we might call this particular arrow from the devil's bow against us and to us. Temptation to sexual sin. With Joseph, uh, he'd likely get away with it too because Potiphar entrusted everything to him, didn't concern himself with anything in the household, but he still resisted I'd mentioned a number of Sunday nights ago that I'm making my way through The Last Dance, which is a documentary on um, the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls, in the 1990s. When Michael Jordan led the Bulls to six championships in the 1990s, um, and was first drafted by them in 1984, the, the documentary says the Bulls franchise was kind of a joke. And I, I believe that's the case. They did not win. Um, they were not about winning. They um, didn't take their responsibilities as players seriously. Early on, when they were on a road trip, they were on the road, they were staying in a hotel, uh, when Jordan was a rookie, the team was, uh, he was wondering where everybody was on the team. He heard this big commotion in one of the players' hotel rooms. He opened the door and he said what he saw was just craziness in terms of alcohol, in terms of drugs, in terms of women. He turned right around, he walked out, he shut the door. He wanted to win, and he knew that that sort of behavior would have disastrous results on the court. And with that commitment and his talent, that was a big part of the Bulls franchise turning around and winning not one three-peat, but two. And the fact is, too, when we shut the door on temptation... Only with God's help, it's only through God's spirit that Joseph could have resisted this. When we shut the door on temptations, boys, girls, men and women, we're going to achieve success in God's eyes too. That's the path to faithfulness. Joseph ran away. That's the key to resisting temptation. That's the key to especially resisting this type of temptation, just get out of there, run away, shut the door. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, once said to consider your circumstances when you've fallen and been tempted to sin in the past and succumb to the temptation. He says, avoid those situations. What props did you have that supported your sin? Eliminate them. 
What people are you usually with when you have sinned? Avoid them. And then he says, learn to say no. What did we find out Joseph's reward was for passing the test? He was rewarded with a false accusation by this wicked woman that the master believed. And we know that to be falsely accused as a person, I mean, that's, that's like about the most hurtful thing you can go through as a human being, isn't it? When you didn't do wrong, but you're accused of doing wrong. So Joseph, his reward was getting falsely accused and then thrown into prison. But yet, we can count on, and we're going to conclude with this point, uh, we can count on, and, and we see here that after this testing and passing the test, but additional suffering, God's going to bring us to unexpected covenant blessing. We read near the end, God was with Joseph in prison. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, and he was put in charge of all those in the prison and was responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Does that sound familiar? Though now in prison, God brings Joseph right back to the position that he had when he was in Pharaoh's household. Who would have thought that? Who would have guessed after such another low point? But the fact is that God is with you and me, his covenant people, even in our hardest times. He shows us kindness. He grants us his favor. Even in the hardest and most unexpected circumstances, in, in the lowest places of all. And, and maybe you experience that presence and care in some hard and tough times. I, I know you all, and I know you have, and I know I have. And in those times, in suffering, in the pit, in temptation, in the dungeon, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is sovereign over us. And so I want to encourage you, family of God, to keep being faithful. Never let up. Ask the Holy Spirit for his help. Receive the blessings of the Lord that he has for all who believe in Jesus. In Jesus Christ, the one who kept covenant horizontally and vertically where we have failed. The one in whom there is forgiveness for all your covenant breaking if you but call on his name, and the one from whom the covenant blessings pour out over to us, his people, because of the love of the Father. In Christ and in submitting our lives to his Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to withstand arrow after arrow, test after temptation from the devil, and in the Lord's power and standing on his promises, we will shine and we will be more and more faithful in our relationships with others and with the Lord. We will. You will. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, bring your word, bring your spirit 
into our hearts and lives. Oh, 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 Lord, bring, bring your word um, and this covenant keeping and covenant faithfulness uh, into your church here at Faith more and more. Give us strength. Uh, forgive us for the many times we've fallen short. And bless us, Lord, with the blessings that come from belonging to Jesus all the days of our life, even this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and give praise and glory to Jesus. Let's do that. Just a note, a reminder, um, after the benediction and the doxology, please go out the front doors, which are going to be opened for you uh, to go out of, and then maybe kind of go row by row so we're not all piled up at those exits, okay? God, go before you, congregation, to lead you. God, go behind you to protect you. God, go beneath you to support you. God, go beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. May the blessing of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you. Amen.